0: Well, let's take our Bibles now and turn to the book of Philippians and we'll pick up where we left off a few weeks ago in Philippians chapter 3. You guys are very quiet this morning. Are you up to something? Okay. All right, just just checking then. Um, One of the experiences that you should have regularly as you spend time in the Word of God, and yes, I hope that you're spending time in the Word of God regularly. This is the are you reading your Bible uh, reminder. Uh, One of the experiences that every believer should experience regularly is when we read things in the Bible that challenge conventional wisdom. OK, So when you and I get up in the morning or lunchtime or, not, whenever you read your Bible, whenever you hear Terry or someone else teaching, um, we should always have a, a, a gear that's engaged in our mind that says, "I am looking for truth, I am looking for uh, conviction, I'm looking for wisdom. I'm looking for things that will challenge how I would think about something ordinarily." The Bible calls that the renewing of the mind. Are you familiar with this? We read about it in, in texts like Romans twelve two. do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We read it in, in texts like Ephesians chapter 4, verses 22 to 24, where we're to put off the old sinful way of living and then we're to be renewed in the spirit of our mind and then we're to put on the new self and that that little three-step process is part of how we grow and change as Christians. But but as you, as you read Scripture, you, you understand that that one of the main things that the Bible is designed to do is to change how we think, to change how we do things, to change what we say, to change how we approach things. And sometimes we read things that are not just like, oh, that's a little tidbit by which we're supposed to say, okay, well, I need to change how I think about that. But we read things that, that literally challenge a whole paradigm of what we've embraced in life thus far. Now, now, just a footnote, you, you may have already read what I'm going to read here in a minute, and you may be on the same page with me, and that's fine. But what I'm about to read, I would suggest to you, is one of those pull the car over moments in your Bible reading where you say, Really? Because that's just not how people look at it. Okay? So let's uh let's parachute back into here to Philippians chapter three. And uh, just to remind you, we've summed up chapter 2. You remember, it's been a few weeks now, but Paul concluded chapter 2 by talking about uh, two of his friends, two of his uh, fellow workers um, that he was hoping to send to the Philippians, uh, Timothy and then uh, the other gentleman uh, whose name is Paphroditus, uh, who was likely the uh, one who carried physically carried the letter that Paul wrote called Philippians and and walked it I don't know how he got there. Uh, He walked at some point, maybe took a a boat as part of the journey. But anyway, but he he delivered it to the Philippian church, uh, this man named Epaphroditus, and how those two men were really examples of the teaching that Paul has been showing the Philippians thus far in his letter. Okay, so we we get to the end of that, and and he's talking about these two guys, and they're great examples to follow. Chapter 3, verse 1. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things is no trouble to me and is a safeguard for you. Now, I confess to you, I thought I was going to get a little bit farther than the first verse today. But let me look here. There's no shock on anybody's face here. So I'm going to read it again. What is this verse really saying that challenges conventional wisdom? I'll read it again, and you think about that, okay? Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things again is no trouble to me, and it is a safeguard for you. Did you catch it? I know it's early. I know, I know. I'll just tell you. Um, What's that? Repetition Repetition is good. Well, you're gonna get some repetition today. So and in fact, he says to write the same thing is no trouble. So to say the same thing is no trouble. That's right. God, through the inspired text here, commands us to rejoice. I'll say it again. God, through his inspired text in this verse, commands us to rejoice. You say, well, what's so crazy about that? Let me tell you what the word rejoice means. The word rejoice, according to my favorite dictionary here, means, quote, to be in a state of happiness and well-being, end of quote. You ready for this? God commands how you feel. God commands your emotions. And I don't know about you, but that is radical. That is radical because I can show you article after article, uh, Dr. Phil show after Dr. Phil show. I can show you psychologist after psychologist. I, I can give you all sorts of evidence for the world that says you can't help how you feel. You just feel like that, right? I mean, you know, you just fall in love or you fall out of love, right? You know, you just feel depressed and you can't help it. You're just an anxious type of person. You can't help that. You just feel the way you feel. And, and, and there's no rhyme or reason. The best, the world solution, if, if those negative emotions are inconvenient or unhelpful in some way, is you cope. That's the world's answer. You can't help how you feel, but you can cope. Or you can't help but you feel, but, or maybe you can take a drug that will change how you feel. But I want you to see the radicalness of this verse, that God is commanding you and commanding me to do something, to change our emotions. Do you see that here? You ever thought about that? Can we control our emotions? Can we control how we feel? Well, and that's why we, we, we've got to maybe just stop at verse one here, and hopefully we can get further in weeks to come. But um, how can believers be commanded to rejoice? H- how can that be a command? Now, now I know what you're thinking. You're saying, Keith, I, I got this figured out. I can just say, I rejoice in the Lord, and I can I can sing some songs, and I can you know I, I can act like I'm rejoicing. I can command myself to rejoice. By just getting up in the morning and saying, "I rejoice in the Lord," I praise the Lord, I thank the Lord, and 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 there's nothing wrong in a sense of of commanding yourself to do that. I mean, it is a command, but that's why I read you the definition. It's not the the, the word "rejoice" is not just something you you do; it's something in your state of being. To use an old word, it's effective. A f f e c i t i v e. Effective. So, how can believers command? Be commanded to rejoice. So, we have to talk about the Bible and feelings. Okay, so we do a little mini study here: the Bible and feelings. Now, some of you guys don't don't freak out. I, I use the word feeling, but but this this is a godly emotion. This is this is a godly to study of feelings and emotions. Okay, the Bible teaches that your feelings come in basically two categories. One is what we might call physiological feelings. Physiological feelings, or sometimes we could call them somatic feelings, from the word soma, which means body. And these, as the name implies, are a body-driven feeling. Things like hunger. Things like being tired. Or experiencing pain. Or the discomfort due to sickness. We were talking about uh, Roger a minute ago, and, and... you know, the discomfort that he must feel from these burns that he has on his body. Well, that is a body-induced feeling, right? There's something wrong with his body, and that makes him feel a certain way. If you stay up too late, if you jump on an airplane from from Thailand, or where, where did you guys fly to Thailand last time, or did you go straight from... Okay. Yeah, see, you know, you go all the way across the ocean and you're on one time zone, you come to and you're sitting there, you you want to listen to the sermon, you know, you know the sermon is important, but you have this physiological sensation known as tiredness because you're trying to adjust time zones. And David Gibson's going to experience that for the next few days. Those are what we call physiological feelings or somatic feelings. They're they're body driven. Okay? So far so good? But then the other category, and, and we know this because even, even Jesus, who was the perfect God man in his humanity, had to sleep. He had to eat. Right. But then there's this other category, and this is where we have to really think carefully, and I'm just going to call them effective feelings. Effective feelings. It's a heart-driven feeling. In fact. And again, you understand, the Bible does not use the term emotion. And we always have to be careful when we use terms that the Bible doesn't use because they mean all sorts of things to all different people, okay? So so understand, I'm going to put the word emotion up here knowing that it is not a biblical word, but I want to try to define sort of what we mean by emotion but use a biblical definition, if that makes sense, okay? An emotion is a heart... Response that comes with or contributes to a body feeling, and and I'll give you a couple of easy examples just to kind of see what I'm saying. We talk about affective feelings; that's what we're talking about. Affective feelings, or we could use the term emotion, as long as we define it biblically. It's a heart-driven feeling. It's a heart response coupled with a body feeling. And you know what this is like. Um, It's 5 o'clock. And you just have a few items that you need to bring home from Walmart. But it's 5 o'clock in the afternoon. And you know that you're not running in and out of Walmart at 5 o'clock. But you do it anyway. And you run in and you go down the aisle. And you get the things you need. And you dodge all the people. And you get there. And half of Hood County is in the checkout line, right? And you're sitting there watching the seconds tick away. And you know that dinner is at such and such a time and you're not going to make it, right? And then the person there writes a check, (laughs) right? And they have to get out their checkbook. And they have to open the checkbook. And they have to find a pen. They're looking for a pen. And then they find the pen. And then they write the amount out. Right? And you're looking, going, well, aisle six, in the time that that person took to get out the checkbook, eight people went through the checkout line. Right? And you're looking at aisle four. And and you're thinking, I, I picked the wrong line. And as you sit there, you begin to experience anger at the person writing the check right okay now anger is something you feel is it not it's a feeling you know and physiologically i'm not a doctor but physiologically you can check things like pulse rate you can check things like blood pressure there are two dogs at the front door that i apparently want to come to church today i'm serious two huge dogs Wow, okay. Rich, will you direct them to our dog's ministry? Thank you. All right, thank you. I'm sorry, can you not see that? Is that better? Can you see that? All right. Okay, so so you're in the checkout line, and all of a sudden you, you get what Richard Baxter called the, the rising up in the heart... In passionate displacency. Isn't that a great great term? The rising up of the heart, passionate displacency. Displacency. Um, And you're angry. And physiologically, you can measure that. You can measure it in your blood pressure. You can measure it in your pulse rate. You can see it physically. Your veins, right here, start showing. And in your head, and you're, 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 for some of us, you're, you're, face might turn a little red and your body tenses up. There's a physiological response, right? But that's really different than being hungry. Because in a sense, it was your heart response that led to those body feelings. Right? If I said to you right now, be angry, it wouldn't work, would it? I mean, there has to be a, a, a heart response. You know, something you want that you're not getting and you think some injustice has been done and that leads to this experience we know as anger. You see the same thing in things like anxiety and worry, okay? Anxiety and worry, you think, oh, what are we going to do? How are we going to pay the bill? How are we going to do that? And uh, can we mortgage this? And can we do that? Can we get a, get a loan? And, and, and in the midst of all of that, you start to experience some of the same symptoms you see in anger, um, known as the experience of anxiety or worry. Fear, same thing with fear. Um, all of these are what we call affective feelings. They're different than things like hunger and sickness and tiredness and pain. It's a heart-driven feeling. And the end result is we have to see, and this is what maybe the, the culture's view doesn't quite see that it's the heart response that leads to the body feeling. Okay? And and you say, well, wait a minute. I'm sitting in line at Walmart. I didn't choose to be angry. Well, that might be true. You didn't choose it like, you know, you choose to grab bubble gum off, you know, the, the counter and put it on the thing to buy it. You're not choosing it like that. But there are ways that you are choosing to respond in your heart to that unpleasant situation and those ways contribute to you being angry. Now, just look at this with me here. Look at some of these commands and maybe we'll look up some of these. The one that we just looked at, rejoice in the Lord. Well, that's a command. God says you need to rejoice. And we say, but... Can we do that? Can we do that? Or here's one you guys know. You guys know Psalm 37.4. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. You guys know that verse, don't you? Uh, What's another one? You're in Philippians. Turn to, let's see. Yeah, just turn back a little bit to 2 Corinthians. And let's just look at a couple of these here. Chapter 9, as you're turning to chapter 9, this is that section where he's talking about uh, giving, and they've been talking about giving in the context. Um, verse 7, let each one do just as he has purposed in his heart, talking about giving, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Okay, so, so, so you ready for this? God loves believers who give of their money, of their time, of their talents—you know, whatever they're giving—when they do it in a cheerful way. And the implication is, if it's not cheerful, that's not honoring to the Lord. So, you say, does that mean we have to jump up and down when we, we don't pass the plate in our church here? But you know, when we give our offerings, are we jumping up and down? Are we skipping down the aisle? Is that what it means? Is that cheerful? No, it means in my heart. I'm happy about what I'm doing. I'm thankful to the Lord for that. But God commands that we be cheerful in our giving. Hebrews 13 verse 5 talks about um, contentment. Uh, I'll just read that for you. You don't need to turn there. But contentment is is a state of our hearts. it's It's a state of contentment, of quietness of our hearts in how we live and what we do. Uh, the writer says, "Let your character be free from the love of money, being content with what you have." And you know, when you see that advertisement for that new truck or that new trip, that you, you start going, "Wow, I need I need that vacation. Would be so nice. I mean, I just I mean, it's been so long since I went on vacation. It was last month, you know." And, and and that's what we do. That's, that's exactly what we do. And, and, and we can feel discontentment. Just like we can feel contentment before the Lord. Or how about this one? James 4.9, we can think about Romans 12, talks about this, where we're commanded to mourn. And like, for example, in Romans 12, mourn with those who mourn. Weep with those who weep. Is that optional? Is that a suggestion? No, it's a command. It's a command that we mourn with those who mourn. And then we can think about love. 1 Peter 1, 22. I will have you look at this one. Turn over to 1 Peter chapter 1, and let's look at this one together. I think love is one of those things that is predominant in our culture is a is feeling, right? Love is just a feeling. Like I said before, you can fall into love, you can fall out of love, and, and and how many how many times have you heard that? I just don't love my spouse anymore. Like like I just woke up one day and it I can't help it, you know. I I it's like stubbing your toe. I wasn't intending to do it. I it just happened, and I just don't love my spouse anymore. So we're not going to be married anymore. Or or the young people, and and um, I love young people. Um we need to help them understand that that oh i just love him i just what they're equating with infatuation right but that's that's not love but see in our culture love is a feeling love is is that overwhelming sense that makes you want to climb a mountain and cross a sea and it's just it's just this really strong feeling and sometimes it's there and sometimes it's not but listen to Peter's explanation of love in First Peter chapter one, verse twenty-two. He says, "Since you have an obedience to the truth, purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, so then fervently love one another from the heart." We're commanded to love, and not just like this sort of stoic sort of, "I'm just going to treat you in a nice way." But he says, "Your love from the heart." It's effective, not, not just something you do. It's, it's something that comes out of your heart. Are you with me on this? The Bible commands our emotions. The Bible commands, in, a sense, in some sense, how we feel. And there are some negative things, too. Some things that, that we would call emotions that the Bible says don't do them. Do not covet one of the Ten Commandments. Right. Do not fear or be dismayed. In uh, Deuteronomy chapter one verse twenty-one. How about this one? Put all, put off all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander, along with all malice. Well, those are all forms of anger, form forms of that emotion. Flip back to Philippians, if, uh, and we'll head back to the text that we started in. In Philippians. Uh, we're in chapter 3, if you flip over to chapter 4, one of the famous uh, verses that we know from Philippians, Philippians chapter 4 verse 6, be anxious for nothing. Well, what's that? It's another emotion, isn't it? So so we could go, we could say, well, if I am anxious, God says I'm sinning. Do you know that worry is a sin? To be anxious is a sin. You say, well, how can you say that? Because Jesus says, don't do it. And if we disobey something Jesus said to do, that's sinful. Matthew chapter 6, he says, do not worry about your life. Right here, he says, be anxious for nothing. Okay? So so what do we do? Like, that's just the data. That's just what the Scripture tells us, that, that all over the place, and that's just a summary, the Bible seems to command our emotions. The Bible seems to command our effective emotions. So what do we do with that? Well, let's make some observations. One is just simply that God commands us regarding our emotions. We, we can't just say, well, that's just the way I am, or I'm just having a bad day, or or I can't help it or you know if I had had a better situation or a better circumstance then I wouldn't be in this situation second observation we can make is that we're responsible before God for our emotions cuz he's he's commanding us he's commanding us to to in a sense feel a certain way number 3 Emotions are more than feelings, and thats I don't think the world gets that. I think that part of the, you know, I can't help but feel the way I feel, that comes from a worldview that says this doesn't exist. As an image bearer of God, as as a person, we know that our, our hearts are, um, we call them the Mission Control Center, it's who we really are, that, that our hearts are active all the time. We're, we're making decisions about what we'll do or say or how we'll think or what we want. And, and, and the, most, the, the most fundamental thing that we do in our hearts is, is who or what we worship, right? And so we're making decisions about who we'll worship and what we'll believe and what we'll say and what we'll do. And those often lead to feelings, but it is that heart response that is the most important. And the fourth observation is this. We can't seem to control our emotions directly. And I'll show you how this works. Um, we're going to pray here in a little bit, and we're going to hang out, and we're going to come back in here and have our worship service. And we're going to have some music during that time. And that music largely is, is going to, the, the words of the text are going to call us to express praise to God, to rejoice in our salvation. And, and we can approach that one of two ways. We can come in and we can go, and can it be that I sh-? We can just kind of go through, and, and we can just sing along. Is that praising God? Is that rejoicing in the God of our salvation? See, we we can't just control our emotions directly. Just like I said, be angry, right? You you can't command that. Um, Mourn. Well, you can't do that. Delight yourself in the Lord. Well, you can't just snap your fingers and do that. So there's this tension between God commands me in these ways, but I can't seem to control them directly. So what do we do? Isn't that frustrating? Sure. I am going to resolve my own tension here in a minute, but I want to hear the insight, so. Yeah. There you go. That's good. So, so what you're saying is it has something to do with our motivation. That's good. It's a good observation. And yeah, you are you are reading ahead a little bit, but that's good. That's good. Okay, so, so how do we resolve this? And, and and this is where I want to spend the rest of our time here, okay? So how do we obey commands regarding our emotions? Number one, we need to take responsibility for our emotions. The, the, the first thing, if we're, if we're going to take God seriously when He says rejoice in the Lord... Um, the, the first thing we have to do is take responsibility for how we feel in, in terms of our affective feelings. Um, we're not going to get anywhere in becoming more like Jesus if we say, I just can't control my anger. I just can't help. I'm just a worry wart. My mom was a worrywart. My grandma was a worrywart. and I'm just the next one. Uh, we, we, we're not going to get anywhere if we make excuses for what God says we are responsible for. Okay, so number one is... We need to take responsibility for the things that God says we need to take responsibility for. number two, we should notice some clues from the context. Now none of you said this, but uh, look back at the, the verse that we started with Philippians chapter three verse one finally, my brethren rejoice in the Lord. Do you notice the little transition word there? Finally okay and and, and actually it's the that's probably not the best way to translate it. But but it's a it's a connecting word. It's a word that connects what he's going to say right now with what he just got done saying. And what did he just get done saying? I summarized it for you. What did he just finish saying? Well, here's what he just finished saying. He says Verse 17, but even if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice and share my joy with you. Why? Why is he rejoicing there? What is is the whole text, what has the whole letter been about so far? Paul's in jail. He's writing to his, his friends, Philippians. Why is he writing? Because their faith is standing. They're growing. They're maturing. They're walking with God in the midst of affliction. So Paul's not sitting in his cell going, I really should be happy about my situation. The Bible tells me to be content in my circumstances. I should really be content. That's not what he's doing. He's sitting in his cell going, I'm in jail. the church is starting to be persecuted, but I'm getting these reports that these people that I've poured my life in are standing firm. Remember the report in chapter one? where where's the gospel going to? The Praetorian Guard. Well, who are those guys? I know it's been a few months, but who are those guys? They're hanging around the Caesar. They're hanging around the the, the 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 whole governmental political system of the known empire, Rome. And there are people who are coming to faith in Christ in high up political places. They're standing firm. They're growing. They're changing. They're sharing their faith. And as Paul thinks about those things... What does he do? He rejoices. I want you to see this very, very, very important principle about when God commands our emotions, and that is those commands never come statically. They never come by themselves, they, they never come as just a command without a context. There's stuff. Wrapped around the command before and after, in the letter, in the teaching. Jesus doesn't just say, do not worry about your life. Any questions? Okay, let's go home now. No, no, no. He doesn't say that. He says, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you drink or what you will wear. Where does he go from there? He says, is not life more than food? And your body more than clothes? Consider the lilies of the field. They don't work. God clothes them. Consider the beasts of the earth, the birds. God feeds them. And he starts pulling in all this theology. He's challenging how we think and what we embrace and what we value. And all of those things lead to being able to say, yeah, I can be content. Do you see that? So the context helps us with this. And yes, this is the reminder that we need not to pull verses out of context, but to read them within the context that they're in. And just like in, in the next chapter, he's going to say, Do not or um, um be anxious for nothing. Okay? So feel bad if you're anxious this week. Okay? I'll check it. He says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything through prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. What? Let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And then he goes on to talk about, think on things that are true and right and holy. Then he's going to talk about doing and following my example. So you can't just take that one verse out of context and say, oh, I'm so, I, I can't, I'm just worrying today. No, you've got to read the whole thing. And when you read the whole thing, you recognize that how we command our emotions involves what we think, what we want, who we worship, and what we do. Don't worry, they're on your outline. Okay? Number one, we need to change what we want. How do we command our emotions? How do we obey these commands to do what the Bible says to do? We should change what we want. The, the little word desire, and I know you guys have heard me talk about this before, but that little word desire, it shows up in texts like James 1 and James 4, um, Uh, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for not God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own desires. The New American Standard sometimes translates it lusts. But what, what, it's a governing, it's a strong desire. And, and what James is helping us with there is that what starts us off down the road of sin, be it anger or worry or fear <clears throat> or whatever it is, is these things called desires. Now let's take my, my uh, Walmart at five o'clock standing in line example to apply this, okay? So let's say you're the one standing, and you may be one of those people that doesn't wear a watch. And that's great, you know. I mean, time is like they do in Papua New Guinea, you know. And and are they like that in Cambodia too. No, they're not. They're real punctual. Okay, so we'll stick with Cam, with uh, Papua New Guinea then. Um, yeah, and they're just just real just whatever. Whenever I show up is the right time. And okay, you you may be one of those people. I'm not one of those people. Okay, I'm sitting there and I'm going, man, five more. seconds. Yeah. Okay, so you're sitting there. And if you're one of those types of people like me, what is Keith wanting as he stands in line at Walmart that is part of the problem with his anger? Dinner? What's that? Dinner? Dinner? Yes. <laughs> you had to start by getting personal. I know. No. Yeah, no. That I, I, yeah, may be it. I, I may want a hot meal, and that may be it. Absolutely. Sure. I want them to get out of my line, right? Because that if 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 I'm thinking clearly, I'm acting like that checkout lane exists for me. Because I'm important, yeah. I, I'm yeah. Exactly. It's my store, right? Burger King says I can have it my way right away. So yeah, see, I, right. But but you see but you see the the, the thing that leads to the anger is it, it, it's not just. It's that I want something that I'm not getting. I want to blow through the line. I want to get home on time. I want a hot meal. I want everybody to accommodate my schedule, even if I'm running late. And James says when we want things too much and we don't get them, that leads us to anger. Or worry. Or fear. Or, you know, pick your, right? So, how am I going to obey the command to not be angry? Well, it doesn't start with going, I can't can't throw the bread across the... No, that's not where it goes. It has to start in here, when I change what I want. What should a Christian want more than anything else? To glorify God. Right? So... This is where I live. You walk into Walmart knowing you don't have a whole lot of time, knowing that you're just going to get a few things, but it's a bad part of the day. You walk in saying, I want to be an example. I want to glorify God more than I want to get in and out of here in three minutes. When I'm standing in that line, and I see all the other lines going. It never, never come shopping with me. I, I'm, I, I, I excel at picking the wrong line, don't I? I will do. And, and this, this may be the wrong way to think about providence, but you know, if Lisa and I are shopping together, and I say, "Let's go to this line," and 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 I say, "Well, no, we're not going to go to that line because that's when I was going to pick, and I always pick the bad line. So we're going to go with that one, or I let her pick the line because I just always pick the wrong line." Um, but but in that moment, what do I want most of all? Do I want my way? Do I I want to take the Burger King? right? Do I want my way right away? Or do I want to glorify God more? And if I want to glorify God more, and that's really what I want, and I'm thinking in my heart, Lord, I want to glorify you more than I want to blow through this line, then I'm not going to get angry. But see, it starts in here. There's another thing we need to change, and that is changing what we think. Changing our mind. Um if I, in my heart, tell myself I deserve efficiency in this line, I deserve to get through this line, I, I deserve to get behind people that will pay by cash or credit or debit card, but not checks. <laughs> now, I'm sure some of you still write checks, but I mean, um, I don't want to step on your toes or anything, but... But yeah, but but you know, what we tell ourselves, and that's what Rich was getting at in Psalm 42, Psalm 43, where the psalmist takes himself by the collar and says, no, you will listen to me, Keith. Hope in the Lord. Remember what he says in Psalm 43? Why are you in despair, oh my soul? Why are you disturbed within me? Who's he talking to? He's talking to himself. And as he has this dialogue with himself, he's, he's telling himself truth that he needs to embrace. So you have this little conversation with yourself. This is not my store. This is not even my aisle. This is... You laugh, but that's where I live. Right? I don't know where you live, that's where I live. Or my road. We won't talk about traffic. That's too convicting. Um. What I'm saying, if I'm being honest, what I'm saying is my kingdom come, my will be done on earth. That's what I'm saying. If I'm honest, that's what I'm saying. And you know what? I just need to repent of that. there's, There's just nothing right about that. I just need to repent. How selfish is that? How prideful is that? How non-others oriented is that? And we just read, you know, consider one another as more important than yourself. Well, I'm considering myself as more important. I'm not thinking about the guys in front of me. I'm not thinking about the the mom with six kids behind me. I'm not thinking about anybody but myself. And until I change how I think, this isn't going to change. There's a third thing. We need to change whom we serve. This is an issue of worship. Mark's Gospel tells us that the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. And to give His life a ransom for many. This is the issue of worship, because what I want and what I think ultimately contribute to who or what I'm worshiping in my life. Remember 2 Corinthians 5, 9? Therefore we make it our ambition we're at home or absent to be pleasing to him. And you've heard the little, cute little saying, I don't know who came up with it, but it's helpful, that there's only two choices on the shelf, pleasing God or pleasing self. Right? My way or God's way. I can worship Jesus or I can worship something else of my own making, of my own estimation. So as I'm sitting in that line, believe it or not, my worship is showing. Do you think of it like that? See, sometimes we think of worship as we gather here and and we open our hymn books and we sing or we listen to Pastor Terry and we think, that's worship. No, no, no. Worship is what's going on in my heart in the checkout stand at Walmart at 5 o'clock. That's worship. And frankly... We have a better understanding of where our hearts are at in terms of worship at five o'clock in Walmart that we do on Sunday morning at ten forty-five. Because in a sense, it's easy to come here and go through the motions of worship. It's hard to worship Jesus when you're not getting what you want, right? Who are we going to serve? And you think about it that 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 line that isn't going as fast as we want it to go is an opportunity for me to really worship Jesus Christ more than myself. Are you with me? And then, finally, we have to change what we choose. Because if we are wanting the right things, if we're thinking the right things, if we're worshiping the right person, then what do we do? We take a step of obedience. And this is where, again, emotion is so much more than a feeling because all these things are going on in my heart, but then I have to take a step of obedience. So so watch how this works. I have to be kind to the checker. I have to offer to help the person that's writing the check in front of me. I have to be helpful, or kind, or considerate, or sacrificial to that person in my life who's hard to love, but God calls me to love. I don't just say, "Oh, good morning, Mrs. So and So." See, that's that's hypocrisy. So if I'm let's change the analogy, change the example. If I'm coming to worship and there is a person here, or a person in the office, or a person in my family, whatever, I'm going to a meeting where I'm going to see somebody who is a difficult person. Okay. Anybody have any difficult people in your life? Okay, we all put our hands up? Okay, good. And you know God wants you to love that person. right? You can show up, and, and you can just put on the show, put on the act, You can do that and you will not honor God. You will demean the gospel. Because as I read my Bible, Jesus saved his harshest criticism for the hypocrites. But if on the way into that meeting, I am pouring out my heart before God saying, God, this person has hurt me. This person um, is all about themselves. This person, but you know what? I'm the biggest sinner. And I want to honor you more than I don't want to be hurt again. I want to honor you more than I don't want to be taken advantage of. I want to honor you more than um, the inconvenience, the sacrifice involved in being around that person. That's what I want. I, I want to be like Jesus who came to serve rather than to be served. I want to worship Jesus more than I want to get my way, more than I want to have a convenient, comfortable life. And if if driving into that meeting you're doing all those things and your heart is right before God, your heart is where it needs to be before God, then what do you do? You walk in the door and you say, it's so nice to see you, Mrs. So-and-so. How was your week? And you do it from the heart. You see the difference? So it is true that we choose to love, that we choose to be kind, that we, we choose to forgive. Yes, there is a volitional component to that, but it is not all volitional. That's what I want you to see. It's not all volitional. Volition, in a sense, is, is all throughout this. I'm choosing to take control of what I want. I'm choosing to take control of what I think. I am choosing to take control of whom I serve. And then I am choosing ultimately what I do. But let's not forget the theology that this verse is built upon, and that is this. If you'll just back up to chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. Just as you have always obeyed, not as much in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. There it is. You do the work, but, verse 13, do not forget verse 13. For it is God who is at work in you both to what? To will and to work For his good pleasure. So, as we take responsibility for our emotions and we change what we want and change what we think and change whom we worship and change what we do, as we, by God's grace, take responsibility for all of that, that's not ultimately where we land. We land saying, Lord, I need you to work in here, I need you to do what only you can do, change my wicked heart, and we trust the God who changes hearts. So we don't want to be hypocrites. We don't want to turn emotions into just acts of the will. We need God to work on our hearts. And we need to do that what Puritans used to call that, that heart work so that when God commands godly affections that we are able to actually respond in obedience to them. Let's pray. Father, thank you for... Um, uh, this text that uh, just in a couple of words challenges how we often approach our emotions and how we feel, and uh, father, I pray that that we would be about that work of the heart, that heart work this week, with whatever situations arise, um, that you would change our hearts, that you would help us to love and rejoice as we even as we think about preparing for the worship hour that we would be meditating and working in our hearts so that when when the hymn book is open, what comes out is not hypocrisy, but what comes out is worship. Father, give us the grace. Change our hearts. Give us the grace to do in us what You command of us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.